Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include, but are not limited to, professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Viewer discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ, therefore, forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin, and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bashed, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. We're your hosts, Harrison Kerrig and Pastor Tim Mullet, and today we seek to answer the age-old question, how can I have assurance of my salvation without being one of those legalistic Christians who obey the Bible? Now, before we just dive right in and answer this question and try and find out how we can have assurance of our salvation. Tim, why don't you just take some time to explain um, maybe the the methodology behind uh, the wording of this question? Sure. Yeah, we're living in a church culture right now that has trivialized what it means to be a Christian to such a degree now that, I mean, an individual can functionally just live a life that's uh, dominated by rebellion against God. Uh, you know, I mean, I even know of examples of individuals who have functionally apostatized and their loved ones still believe that uh, they're saved. And so, <laughs> uh, no matter what they say, you know, they're just backsliding or something along those lines. And so, uh, when you're living in that kind of situation, essentially, the idea of obedience itself is going to be uh, functionally viewed as you know, almost a bad thing. And then uh, the the consequence of that, though, is, is clearly that there's a great many people that uh, are in the church and who lack assurance. And part of the reason they lack assurance is because they're probably lost. And so, <laughs> uh, so they don't want to functionally. Hang on. I, I thought once saved, always saved. Well, so. <laughs> uh, there's, that's clearly uh, true if, if an individual is legitimately saved. But then the problem is, uh, you know, often there's ample evidence to doubt the fact that the uh, individual in question is actually saved. And so, you know, wonder of wonders, they struggle with assurance. And so, um, <laughs> and, you know, the primary way that they um, justify their own personal rebellion against God is to basically appeal to that category of legalism. Uh, so, I mean, I, I remember growing up, essentially, uh, there was this uh, attitude that I had uh, adopted, essentially, that I I didn't want to be one of those, you know, Christians who were really serious about their faith <laughs> kind of Christians, you know. <laughs> That'd be a bad place That'd to be. That'd be a bad place to be because, you, you, you know, once you go down that path, you know, you never know where you end up kind of thing. And so <laughs> it's just uh, one of those things where you, you want to 
you we want to be a Christian without trying too much, you know. So <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to be one of those those Christians that keeps bashing people with the Bible. Uh, huh? Not that guy. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> we see how that turned out. Right. Right. So <laughs> that's, that's dangerous. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think in that kind of framework, then like the basically you, you look at anyone who you know, tries too much or a little bit too committed, and they're a source of embarrassment, shame uh, for you, and so. <laughs> You just call them a legalist and move on. But then the problem is that you know if you're living in that kind of world, you don't really have a whole lot of assurance. Either. Right. So. Right. Well, uh, why don't we just start with that title question? You know, now that we've now that we've talked a little bit about why we wanted to word the question this way. So, Tim, tell us how can how can someone have assurance of their salvation without being one of those legalistic Christians that you're talking about who obeys the Bible. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess the easiest way to go about it, if you don't actually want to bow the knee to Christ and submit to his lordship, is just to pursue um, self-deception with everything you have, you know? And so um, (laughs) if you do that, (laughs) it might be quite possible that you can uh, deceive yourself into silencing your conscience uh, permanently and uh, actually fool yourself into uh, believing you're a Christian when you're not. So it's that easy, huh? Hey, it's possible. You know, now, I mean, I don't know that uh, everyone is entirely successful at it, but then uh, the truth is, I mean, the Bible does say that in the last day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these uh, great uh, miracles uh, for you and, and these mighty works and your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Uh, I never knew you. So, um, the, I mean, the truth is, it is possible to be deceived. Mm-hmm. Uh, into thinking that you're a Christian when you're not. Uh, but then I would say that the com- uh, concept of assurance in general, there, there really is no easy uh, answer to that question. You know, how do I know that I'm saved? I mean, there's a lot of things that the Bible would say uh, that talk about how to how to have assurance. Uh, but then I would say the presence or absence of assurance in general is no sure sign that an individual is a Christian. Like, there's, you, you can have assurance and be self-deceived and you right. can not have it and in actually be a legitimate Christian who's, you know, basically has an overly sensitive conscience. And so the, you know, the presence of, uh, of assurance itself doesn't get you in the right uh, ballpark. Uh, right. As far as that yeah. That, that makes me think about, um, I think, I don't remember if it was this week or last week, but I saw on, um, Twitter of all places, um, I saw this guy, you probably know, know him, Tim, or you, you've heard of him. Uh, his name is, um, Brandon Robertson, I think. And, um, he, you know, he's a, he's a sodomite and, uh, he's a sexual pervert and he claims to be a Christian. Right. And I saw, I saw a video from him the other day. It's it's a guy who is, is as far as I can tell is totally serious um, about like about uh, this idea that he is actually Christian, he is actually saved uh, on the last day. You know, he won't be one of those Lord, Lord. You know, didn't we prophesy in your name? He, he, in his mind, you know, he's he's a lock. He's a lock for heaven, basically. Sure, sure. And Shoo and him. he and he um he put out a video. <laughs> describing the story of of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and he told everyone in this TikTok video that um that was proof that Jesus was encouraging uh 
young people to come out of the closet. Why? Because the scripture says, Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) (laughs) And this guy, as far as I can tell, he's totally convinced that he's a Christian, but then he's pushing, you know, obviously, I mean, just totally dumb, like, you know, theological, if if you can even call them theological ideas. uh, Sin makes you stupid, you know, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so that's that's immediately what I thought of when you're when you're describing um, what it, your answer. Now, oh, did did you have some more to say about? No, that? No, no. I mean, it's just okay. sin makes you stupid, man. Like, uh, there's yeah, nothing you can say about that. Yeah, it definitely it definitely makes you stupid. If you know, um, messes with your reading comprehension ability. <laughs> Pretty soon, out. he's going to be exegeting Frozen. So. <laughs> If not already, you know. Him and and TGC, I guess. Yeah, Um, yeah. Now, one of the things that you pointed (laughs) out, one of the things you pointed out towards the beginning of your answer was this idea that uh, it kind of seems like uh, a lot of Christians are using this, this term, you know, or I guess this title, you know, a legalistic Christian, they're using it, but then you're. It seemed like you were implying that they're not really using it correctly. Um, so, could you just take a moment and maybe try and distinguish between um, the, I guess, the common use of that legalistic title versus what it what it would actually look like in God's eyes? Yeah, I mean, in you know, antinomian circles, essentially, in circles where uh, that are defined by easy believism or the notion that in order to be a Christian, you essentially, you know, pray a prayer, you walk an aisle, that kind of thing. Yeah, in those kind of circles uh, where there is a heavy emphasis on what's saved, always saved, um, there, and then uh, what, what might be described in theological terms as uh, decisional regeneration uh in in those kind of circles um like certainly like there is a doctrine of just just for those with you know hearing problems there there certainly is a doctrine of eternal security as far as that goes but then like those who are emphasizing that expression you know once they saved always saved and you know if you ask jesus in your heart he you're saved and once you do that you're pretty much done you're good you can live as a carnal christian forever in those kind of circles, like a legalist is essentially anyone who tries to obey the Bible too much. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's essentially what a legalist is, is, is a person who reads the Bible and sees that the Bible actually has commands that we should try to follow. And, and I would say that that's just a standard thing that I hear all the time from people who are, you know, outraged by any particular biblical stance that I take on anything. I mean, it's inevitably, if you basically point out some verse of the Bible that they don't like, or they've never heard of, or they've never considered before, inevitably they're going to call you a legalist. And so I I think, yeah, obviously in common parlance, a legalist is just anyone who is, who thinks, you know, you know, has the audacity to think that Jesus (laughs) actually has commands that he's given us (laughs) That are not just how dare you, Tim? You know, that are not just suggestions, you know. So you know that legalism it is is just one of those words that is just thrown around that functionally just has no meaning, uh, really. And it's not. I mean, unfortunately, it's not really a biblical word. So there's not, um, in, despite what some creative scholars might say, there's no Greek word that you can translate 
as legalism. I mean, legalism is not a, like it's not in the Bible. But then uh, the idea of legalism is that there are errors related to the law that you're going to find in the Bible. That uh, some of which are fairly significant um, and could cause an individual to question like their salvation at that point, like the legitimacy of it. And so like the idea of legalism is essentially the idea of being a Judaizer, uh, to use kind of a biblical expression. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but then it also like, you know, as I'm saying, like the idea of legalism can be just as simple as just thinking that Jesus has given us any commands whatsoever. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like, you know, so to some, the, the issue is if, if, uh, if, if, thinking that we should confess that Jesus is Lord and obey him makes me a legalist. Well, I guess I'm a legalist then. Yeah. But I think <laughs> that that's supposed to be a bad thing. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, that's the problem. But I think that there are some legitimate errors related to the law that could be called legalism, which are bad. So, okay. Uh, so I, I think the, the stereotypical like kind of legalism that you're going to find in the Bible uh, for lack of a better word, would be just the pharisaical impulse to add to the scripture commands that aren't there. Uh, so, you know, the, the Pharisees essentially, in order to keep from violating the Sabbath, they came up with, you know, 490 Sabbath laws or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which That are, sounds reasonable. <laughs> I mean, and that, that's coming from a good place to, to try to obey God, you know, and, and if God is basically saying that anyone who violates the Sabbath under the old covenant is going to be stoned to death, then I think that you, you might want to take it seriously. But then what ended up happening was the, the error of the Pharisees essentially was they ignored the actual law of God that's, and then they, uh, held to their traditions, which were these man-made, uh, you know, extra biblical commands that are outside of the text. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if like a, a legalist proper is going to be either an individual who's adding to the Bible commands that aren't there. Um, now to the antinomian, I, as I've said, like it's going to be a, even thinking the Bible has commands at all. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, but like it proper, like a legalist would be someone adding to the scripture commands that aren't actually in the Bible. And then uh, that, or, you know, an attempt to earn your salvation through law keeping. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be uh, and also a legalistic kind of posture, essentially to mm-hmm. try to think that you're justified by law keep, keeping instead of being justified by grace through faith. But, and you know, mm-hmm. there, there are other ways that you could think about how that label could come about, but those are basically three of the main ways. Uh, one of which is like I'm fine to be called a legalist, and two of which I don't want to be called a legalist. Right. So now you said you said um, people who are Judaizers earlier. Could you just take a moment and explain what that means? Yeah, I mean there there were um, essentially. Um, individuals in the early church uh, who the Bible refers to as Judaizers and Paul would say that they he wishes they would you know emasculate themselves essentially yeah. uh, very winsome of them yeah that's right uh, but you know he there are individuals who basically wanted to uh, uh, hold uh, Christians captive to the entirety of the Mosaic law and were unable to see how um, there were uh, aspects of it very least that were fulfilled in the coming of Christ. Uh, and so there are individuals who were wanting to hold them to the Mosaic law in 
its entirety. An example in the Bible is of circumcision. And so essentially they're making circumcision a salvific issue. Because, I mean, in order to be like a member of the Old Covenant community, you had to be circumcised. And so they were turning that into a requirement for the New Covenant Church and basically saying that, you know, apart from circumcision, you're not going to be saved. And so in that way, they're making an error related to the law that um, they're, that you might describe as legalism. And they're called Judaizers, meaning they were... Mm-hmm. Uh, binding the Christian church to all of the law in its entirety uh, in order to be a Christian and, and, and as a means of, you know, even earning their salvation too, as far as that goes. So mm-hmm. now I know, you, I know you said earlier that, um, you know, if, if the, if someone uh, who was in a part of that easy believes, believism type culture wanted to have assurance of their salvation, all they needed to do was basically deceive themselves right, into right. thinking that they're a Christian. Um, so, so we got that answer. But then, you know, putting putting that group aside uh, is, is for, you know, uh, for other. I don't people, recommend that you know, as a you know, <laughs> as a as a, as um, a positive good. I'm just <laughs> I'm not that encouraging might not be the anyone group to, to hang go around. that route. Yeah, I'm not encouraging you to go that route. But if you're trying to find a way, that might be. You know, if you want to damn yourself, you know, uh, and uh, still be confident, you know, confidently damned, then. <laughs> You know, basically, um, you know, pursue sin with all your might and until your conscience quits going off, and maybe you'll be successful, maybe not. You know, <laughs> in a, in other words, it is a way. Sure, it's just not a good way. Yeah, it's not a recommended <laughs> course. You know. Uh, so okay, putting those people aside, you know, um, is it is it possible uh, for someone to actually have assurance of their salvation? Ah, sure, it's possible. I mean, um, I mean, it's assurance is a gift of God, and it's um, you know something that we should pursue, biblically speaking. And so, not only is it possible, but it's something that Christians should be pursuing. And um, there's really no reason why a Christian who is you know walking uh, in grace, walk uh, living, walking by faith in their life who's trusting in the promises of God and who is repenting of known sin, uh, there's no real reason why they shouldn't have assurance of their salvation. Uh, Mm -hmm. So assurance of salvation is the normal state of affairs for the Christian. Um, But, you know, there are, there are, you know, exceptions to that, but I would say it's a normal state of affairs that we should expect. Um, So an individual who just like, we shouldn't expect that, um, you know, the standard state of affairs is that Christ saves a person and they're trusting by faith in the promises of God and they're constantly in doubt of their salvation. That's um, that's something that can happen, but it's not something that should be normal. Mm-hmm. So, it really so is in, normal. You know. So in other words, um, assurance of salvation is not just this thing that all of the super Christians like John, the John MacArthur's of the world <laughs> get to have it should it should be the normal experience for the majority of of sure. christians right yeah yeah it's okay. not just a second you know blessing of god or something like that <laughs> it's not it's not that kind of thing it's you not know. it's not like level two christianity no, i mean it's so tied to the basic realities of the christian experience that it should be the normal uh, state of affairs mm-hmm. okay what about the um you know the genuinely legal the 
a genuinely legal legalistic Christian, the one who's legalistic in the sight of God, can they have assurance of salvation? Well, sure. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, there's plenty of Pharisees like who were confidently assured, it's, so far as we can tell, of their salvation. And it, they were so confident about it that they rejected the Messiah. Um, and there really isn't a whole lot of evidence that the majority of the Pharisees were even remotely troubled about their eternal state. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why that is is because sin is essentially blinding. And um, so when an individual is mastered by sin, and they, they, they are giving themselves over to you know a, a form of blindness. Um, and they're increasing you know, the judicial blindness that they're already you know being judged with. And, and so I mean I think um, you know, most of your progressive Christians, I wouldn't say that they're struggling deep down with the uh, lack of assurance of their salvation. I mean it might be that you know a great many of them are, but then mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't like they like it doesn't seem obvious on the surface that they perceive themselves to be that way, right? So yeah. so I don't know that like. I don't know that there's any simple answer to that kind of question other than it does seem quite possible that there will be many on the last day who will say, Lord, Lord, and be deceived. So that tells me that, you know, they, um, they, they were legitimately deceived. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a category of legitimate deception, but then I do think uh, there is this fundamental guilt problem that people have and they struggle with, they don't know what to do with. And so it's um, uh, assurance doesn't, like um, seem in some comprehensive way to be characterized by the whole, like the world doesn't seem to be comp- uh, characterized by that in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I do think, you know, you can have a particular kind of religious deception that, um, you know, is um, confidently trusting in something that's not real because it's based on the wrong things. Yeah. So I don't think there's any simple answer to that question. I think a legal, a genuine legalist could, could have, um, assurance of their salvation but often what's happening with uh you know a genuine legalist is the the, one, the kind that's trying to earn their salvation through law keeping is um there is this nagging doubt underneath the surface um that you know they're never able to keep it enough and there there is the experience of guilt and shame and condemnation that they can't get rid of you know for many uh, but i wouldn't say that that's i don't i don't know that you can you know determine the state of a person's soul by the either the presence or absence of assurance. It mm-hmm. it's a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, but yeah. that, but I think there's a lot of people who just think that if you feel bad about your sin in of itself, then that's just irrefutable evidence that you're saved. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But the problem is that Esau felt bad about his sin, and <laughs> Judas felt bad about his sin, and he right. felt so bad about it he hung himself. Yeah. Uh, but then he's described as the son of perdition. Uh, mm-hmm. And it would have been better if he were never born. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, a, a legitimate legalist could, and I think many Pharisees did, like have assurance of their salvation. It was just misplaced and they were going to be deceived. And the Bible says that there are going to be many who are deceived like that. Right. Uh, but then I wouldn't be surprised if they're, you know, that the thing is, I mean, assurance is just not one of those things. It's just um, typically just a. Uh, and this is something that people need to realize. Like assurance is not one of those things that are just a static, you know, permanent state of affairs anyways. Right? What do you mean? Well, what I mean is like if you just think about the normal Christian experience, there are times where we're more assured of our salvation and there's times where we're less sure of our salvation. 
and I'm sure that that's true for the legalists and the Pharisee too, that they can spend a lot of their life just being blind and ignorant, you know, but then it kind of goes in and out, you know, there are those moments mm-hmm. where they doubt maybe. And, and so I don't know that, um, like most people, the problem is that a lot of people, they get assurance wrong because the moment they feel the faintest kind of doubt, they fixate on that. They don't know what to do with that. And then they use, they identify that as like irrefutable proof that they're lost Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they don't have a realistic perspective of how the Christian life actually works. And there should be some sort of ebb and flow to assurance um, that is based on, you know, just the way we're living to. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you don't yeah. have to conceive of like assurance as it has like a, either like, a you know, a hundred percent absence of all assurance or a hundred percent confidence of all assurance. I mean, I think it would be better to think like there are times where, you know, you might have a 5% doubt and there are times where <laughs> you know, 95% confidence, you know, and then, you know, and then it goes down to 85% confidence, uh, you know, and 20% doubt, you know, and then there are times where it's like 80% doubt and 20% confidence and it just goes up and down, you know, <laughs> based on things, but like that, like a sure, like, it, it, like the reality of being saved is very different than the experience of assurance that, that mm-hmm. can go up and down depending on, yeah. A variety of factors, and it's no yeah. decisive proof of anything. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things, and this is kind of off topic, but you you said that um, as far as you can tell, it seems like a lot of progressive uh, Christians don't really seem to struggle very much, at least outwardly, with uh, assurance of salvation. I and I and I agree. You know, I I don't necessarily see. I mean, you've got guys like I described earlier, the Brandon Robertson, or maybe it's Brandan. I, it's he spells his name with two A's, um, so I don't know if it's it's pronounced differently or what. But um, I mean, he's just spewing out utter nonsense, and then and then he seems pretty confident, honestly, out, outwardly at least what you see on the internet. But then I really wouldn't be that surprised if a lot of those guys really do genuinely. Um, at least for a while, you know, really struggle with this idea of, am I actually a Christian or not? And it's not so much because of the, um, because they're, you know, subscribing to, um, at best iffy theological, uh, concepts, but I think it has a lot more to do with just the fact that it seems like normally they're motivated a lot more by emotion than they are just you know, fact and, and logic. And so, so I really, I really wouldn't be very surprised if, if you could kind of peel back the curtain and and see, and they actually do struggle with it a lot more than maybe they let on in general. Yeah. I think, um, related to that, it's, it's certainly pretty complicated because there's, um, you know, individuals who are involved in the, you know, celibate gay Christian movement and everything else. I mean, there's like, it's, like the desire to be affirmed, like the desire mm-hmm. to be validated, like that desire that is present there in those kind of situations. I mean, you just think about why is it so important for sodomites essentially to get everyone to basically praise them for what they're doing? Well, certainly there's 
this guilt and this shame and this condemnation that they're trying the best they can to erase and they don't, Mm -hmm. they're trying to suppress. And if they can get people to say, you know, you go girl or that kind of thing, (laughs) Uh, you know, you're awesome and like all that and like slay queen. Yeah. All that. Yeah. If you get that, then like part of like that demand, that need for that is being fueled by this conscience that is going off. And I mean, in, in, you know, a lot with a lot of your, you know, heretics, like, and charlatans and those guys, I mean, you you listen to them debate other Christians and they're just so concerned to put this discussion in the framework of a discussion among brothers. And why why won't you call me a brother? And why won't (laughs) you, and it's just like, I, like, I, you know, I could care less whether or not like a heretic calls me a brother in Christ or considers me saved. Like that's. Like I'm not getting my assurance of salvation from your affirmation at all, you know. Right. Like whatever you think of me, it, it really, like, does not matter at all to me, <laughs> right? I mean, it's it almost like, um, um, like it, it, I, I basically I, I could just care less. I mean, that's the point, you know. So I'm not trying to get that, but then at the same time, um, so I think that there's that going on in the background, but then. You know, I, I, I can imagine at the same time there's such a comprehensive kind of blindness that they don't stop and process that as mm-hmm. yeah they, they don't process like the, the um the the doubt there that's underneath the surface that's unconscious so to speak, and in terms of like their actual mental processes at times I think their mental processes are oh yes I'm obviously a Christian you know I'm just not mm-hmm. one of those legalistic kind of Christians. Kind of, uh, kind of situations, but I mean, it's just, you know, it's impossible really to just speculate with any certainty about right. uh, anyone other than just, you know, guilt is real and shame is real. And when you suppress it over and over and over again, you do, you, it is possible to sear your conscience and silence your conscience so much so that it doesn't even go off anymore. So, you know, I, I think it's just, um, it's just, you, you just don't know in any given situation. Mm-hmm. There, yeah. there are individuals who have successfully silenced it for the most part, you know, and there are those who are, aren't, you know, it's, so, but uh, whether or not it's there, it's kind of irrelevant, uh, really, because you don't determine whether or not a person is saved simply by appealing to their assurance or, or their lack of it. Right, right. Now, um, okay, so, so we can have assurance of salvation. So how exactly do we get there? I mean, basically, and basically what that question means is, is if you boil it down, it just, it's just, how do I know that I'm saved? You know, is it like a special sign that I'm supposed to receive? Is the spirit supposed to descend on me like a dove, like it did with Jesus? Or do I need to speak in tongues? Um, like they did in acts. Do, do I need to get uh, slain in the spirit? You know, um, do I need to get baptized or maybe pray a certain prayer? Or, you know, sometimes they sometimes the pastors will have everybody who wants to get saved walk down the aisle to the front. Um, or, you know, uh, for a lot of people, sometimes they'll say, you know, like, hey, maybe it was that, uh, maybe it's that special feeling that you felt during the seventh chorus of the, the really powerful, you know, <laughs> worship song going on. Um, you know, how, so how exactly are we supposed to know that we're actually, uh, that we have actually been saved? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as you're trying to answer that question, there is a variety of answers that the Bible gives. And this is one of those things where people don't understand. And, and often people have just a very over uh, overly simplistic answer to this kind of question that doesn't really reflect the broad range of biblical teaching at this point. I mean, I, I remember listening to a Q&A with uh, Michael Horton, uh, who was trying to answer this question. And and essentially, Michael Horton only had one category for how um, how we go about having assurance, and that's just simply trusting in the promises of God. Uh, but then the problem is that you, you know, on the other end, so with someone like Michael Horton, you're going to essentially get, the only way you know you're a Christian is by trusting in faith and the promises of God, the end, period. Uh, but then all the things you mentioned were essentially experience-based, Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you go to a charismatic church and you don't speak in tongues, then they're going to call into question your salvation <laughs> yeah, as far as that goes. But a lot of those are just based on experiences, and, and a lot of your mega churches are it's all experience-based. Uh, um, but then um, there's, um, you know, as you read through the Bible, there's, a, there's what you call objective means of assurance, and then there's what you would call subjective means of assurance. And so there are, there are both kind of categories in the scripture uh, that God gives us. And so it, it, in order to even you know, talk about the subject, you have to think about different categories like that. Uh, so I, I think just starting out with what you might describe as the objective means of assurance, uh, that would be essentially trusting in the promises of God. How do you know that you're saved? Well, the Bible says that if you, you know, repent of your sins and believe the good news, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord— you'll be saved. And so part of having assurance is, is bound up in the very act of, you know, trusting God's, by faith, the promises of God. And it's tied to the experience of the Christian life in that uh, the Christian is the individual who walks by faith. And mm-hmm. so we, you know, as you trust, so a natural corollary to exercising faith is to have assurance because you're essentially trusting that God's not a liar. He's not trying to trick me. He's not trying to deceive me. The Bible says if I, you know, uh, repent of my sins, believe the good news, if I confess that Jesus is Lord uh, and believe in my heart God raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. So, like, there's what that's what you describe as objective means of assurance because it's based on the objective work of what Jesus did on the cross. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so there's nothing like, like Jesus' work on the cross is objective, meaning there's nothing that you like. It's objectively true as a historical event it actually happened, and like it, his sacrifice on the cross was absolutely complete. Uh, so now, um, if you think about assurance in that kind of way, that objective, those objective means of assurance are kind of like uh, the you know the seat of a stool, if you want to put it that way. Uh, but then you have like subjective means of assurance also, which that which uh, are other biblical means of assurance that aren't the foundation for assurance, uh, but are certainly important. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right, so you know, as you read the First John, one of the things you're going to see is that First John is a book that's written to those who believe in Jesus in order that they right. may know that they have eternal life. <laughs> mm-hmm. and so First John is a book that's designed to give Christians assurance, uh, essentially. So, uh, but then the whole book is structured around trying to help Christians to know that they're saved. And the way that Christians know that they're saved, you just read through the book and you're going to see, you know, how do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments, right? Uh, 
Right. You know, uh, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sins. No one who says he love, uh, loves God and uh, hates his brother uh, is uh, in the faith, essentially, right? And so uh, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, but like God, right? And so, like, you know, as you read through First John, you're going to see that our love for the brother is, brothers is meant to give us confidence that we're a Christian. So as we see ourselves growing in sacrificial love, as we see ourselves growing in obedience, if, you know, for this is the love of God that you keep his commandments. Um, Anyone who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So obedience, you know, love for brother, uh, love for God's word. Uh, you know, you're going to find that in First John. Um, in, all these things are just what you might describe as subjective means of assurance. And they're subjective in that, you know, there's no one who loves God purposely, perfe- perfectly. Uh, there's no one who, like, obeys perfectly. There's no one who loves his neighbor perfectly. Uh, it, there's no one who loves God's word perfectly uh so like we're never going to be perfect in these things but as we see ourselves growing in these categories and not being dominated or mastered by unrepentant sin we're meant to gain confidence about the state of our salvation so you know as you put those two things together there are both those categories in the scripture um they're the category of you know the objective means like you're trusting by faith in the promise of god and then you have the subjective means meaning like lifestyle change if that makes sense. So not slain in the spirit. No. I mean, not, <laughs> <laughs> not that kind of stuff. No, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. It's funny that people... This slain in the spirit thing, man, that's uh, not... It, it's funny that, that people get so obsessed with that because in the New Testament, I can only think of two people that were slain in the Spirit, and you don't want to be like those two uh, that's people. That's the funny thing about the uh, the uh, charismatic movement is they're fixated on these metaphors that are just like horrendous when you think about it. So you want to yeah. be Ananias and Sapphira, be slain in the Spirit. You know, why are we constantly calling fire to fall down on our head? You know, <laughs> it's like, that's bad, man. Like that's, uh, you know, that's what happens if you're in Nadab and Abihu, Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, uh, uh, like I don't want, I don't want Elijah calling fire down from heaven and, you know, burning me up here. So, like, but, uh, uh, that's, seems like the, that movement has a, a penchant for, taking all the judgment passages and making them into, you know, cool Christian experience. <laughs> but maybe they speak better than they know, man. It's, it's a, uh, it's definitely mercy from God that they, that, well, they're going to get it one day, man. That don't get it. Um, now you said part of what can give us assurance of our salvation, um, is this idea that basically you, you can kind of look at your life over time and you see that, um, as you progress, uh, as time passes and, and you grow more and more in your faith, one of the things that happen is, happens is you start valuing things like you start valuing things like scripture a lot more and you really try and are trying to genuinely, you know, um, follow what God has said. So, so if that's the case, then does that mean that basically it's a requirement to be one of those nasty legalistic Christians <laughs> in order to have assurance? 
Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> if yeah, if nasty legalists. That's you, that's definitely not a sarcastic question yeah. in any way. <laughs> yeah, like here's the thing, man. I mean, I think as you think through like that issue and why it's so important is that in order to be a Christian, you do have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. So you have to confess like that Jesus is Lord, and like if you actually are saved, then the Holy Spirit is going to come live inside of you and fundamentally transform you and make you new like you're going to be a new creation so it's like the creator of the universe is living inside of you and the bible says like if a son sets you free you're going to be free indeed then you know the christian should have some confident pretty confident expectation that they're going to be different right that they're going to be different mm-hmm. that their life is going to be transformed and it should be there should be measurable progress in the christian life and there really isn't any category for like just the you know, the individual who prays the prayer and walks the aisle and then lives like the prodigal son for their whole life and then it, like basically never grows any, has no desire to read the Bible, has no desire to pray, has no desire to obey God, who basically just lives in open and unrepentant rebellion. I mean, in fact, that kind of individual, the Bible in the last say, they will, but the people who are going to be deceived, the Bible say, uh, basically says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Mm-hmm. So, like the antinomian type who doesn't want to obey the Bible, they're going to be the that that's that's the person who's going to be deceived. That's the point. Uh, so, like in order to be a Christian, you do have to submit to Christ's lordship, and there has to be a change. Like you can't just be the same person that you always were. Like that's the point. Uh, but then, uh, because essentially we've embraced this easy believism that all that it means to be a Christian is just to, you know ask Jesus into your heart. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no place for repentance there. There's no place for life change or anything. It's just ask Jesus into your heart. And the problem is that, you know, we've adopted this stance that salvation functionally is just meaningless, right? And we don't know how to explain a lot of these verses at that point. Uh, but then there's a lot of people essentially who don't have assurance because they're living in open, unrepentant rebellion against God. But then the problem is they don't have a right to assurance. That's the point. So like a like a like a Christian who's living in unrepentant habitual sin, they don't have any right to assurance. Like they don't have mm-hmm. a right to a confident trust that that God has saved them and delivered them from the penalty and and the power of sin in their life, uh, because their life is giving no evidence of that. Now they could be you know, like the thing is like if you're whenever you're you, you, even a legitimate Christian is embracing sin for a period of time. In that moment, they don't have a right to Christian assurance, uh, and so like that, that like the the issue is that assurance is tied to the way you're living in, in a pretty fundamental way. Uh, so objectively, it's tied into trusting that God and the promises of God. And Christians can sin really big at times, uh, but then if you're living a life characterized by open, unrepentant rebellion then you know the church itself should come along and identify that and say to that kind of individual you don't have a right to assurance and as far as we can tell you're self-deceived um so like the point there is just to say that the normal christian life should be one that's characterized by obedience uh and just you know normal cycles of of sin and then asking God to forgive you, and then turning from sin, but not just uh, just being dominated pervasively and overwhelmingly by sin in your life. So, 
Yeah, I mean, like the kind of uh, assurance the Bible actually imagines is not the kind of assurance that just despite all evidence to the contrary, <laughs> you know, uh, I trust that Jesus uh, has saved me, you know. <laughs> against uh, all odds. Against all odds <laughs> and all, po- all available evidence, you know. Like, now, I mean, there's certainly like the truth that if the Lord were to count iniquities, none of us could stand and none of us are progressing as fast as what we should. And, you know, none of us, uh, you know, Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. Certainly uh, there should be a war that's going on in our heart where sometimes we do the things we hate to do and the things we want to do we don't do. But it should be an actual war that's going on and not just some like embrace of rebellion as a cherished friend that's characterizing our entire life. Uh, but mm-hmm. then, yeah, I mean, like the kind of assurance the Bible actually has imag- uh, envisions is the kind of tr- uh, confident trust that is based on objectively what Jesus did at the cross and also what he's doing to transform your life right now, subjectively uh, experienced. And so there should be both there. And so, uh, you know, there should be no unhappier uh, person than the disobedient Christian. Um, mm-hmm. like, so fundamentally, if you're the more that you embrace sin, you should be destabilized and your assurance should go until you repent again. Now the Bible, the Bible constantly tells us over and over again that salvation comes through faith, right? right? That that confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing in our hearts that uh, God raised Him from the grave on the third day. So uh, I know for a lot of people, uh, especially people who haven't really talked about these things before, there's a sometimes they have a really hard time distinguishing between what between the actual salvation itself and then um uh what the works what like good works are supposed to be doing and basically what i mean is um you know a lot of times people they hear what you're saying which is which is essentially you know uh hey good works it has nothing to do with the actual salvation itself it has everything to do with um, uh, number. I mean, number one, honoring God. But then beyond. But as it relates to the topic at hand, it it uh, the purpose of it is to help assure us of the salvation that happened. But then the problem with for a lot of people is, at least as far as I've seen, is they start to get the two mixed up, where they start to um, think of works as an actual part of of the salvation process. Um, ha- have you ever noticed that before, or is that something localized to me only? No, I mean, I, like the legalistic impulse essentially is the uh, the real legalistic impulse essentially is <laughs> uh, is to basically look to yourself and to your own performance as uh, um, basically a means of justifying yourself before God and anyone who is basically looking to. They're uh, looking to their own performance, to, to their own works, as what um, justifies them before God is, you know, is basically um, they're not walking by faith. They're you know, placing themselves under the uh, under, under a curse, essentially. I mean, so if the Lord were to count iniquities, none of us can stand. And if you like, you're like none of us like are righteous, no, not one. So uh, there is no salvation to be found through law keeping. Mm-hmm. And if fundamentally, even like your assurance is grounded in your performance, you're always going to be destabilized because fundamentally, like we, you know, 
wretched men that we are, we don't live up to God's standards. So either you just uh, basically redefine sin to the point mm-hmm. where it's just non-existent, and then you claim some kind of Christian perfectionism, or you learn to ground your 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 experience of salvation, the assurance of salvation, in objectively the work of Jesus in a primary sense, and in a secondary sense, like you're grounding it in. Um, the evidence of God's work in you as demonstrated by a changed life. Uh, but there, there are a variety of different types of people who struggle with assurance. Uh, mm-hmm. So there are different categories of people. So like there's, um, so like there's the kind of individual who's just, you know, their life is a mess, man. And they're living in open, unrepentant rebellion against God. Uh, so like there's that kind of person and that's the title question is coming up with. And so like you can imagine the kind of person who spends all their all day long playing video games, is addicted to porn, you know, is sleeping around, is yeah, mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of person is not probably gonna have a whole uh confident trust that God is for them, no matter what they say, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the kind of like like lady who's a homemaker who basically spends all day long addicted to her phone, ignores her kids all day long. Um and, you know, refuses to homeschool them kind of thing. And the house is a mess and, the you know, the laundry's piled, are piled up all over the house and the dishes are constantly in the sink. And, I mean, she does maybe, you know, 30 minutes of work a day. And, you know, the vast majority of, like, her day is basically spent ignoring her kids and telling her kids to go away. And then she pretends like she's uh, put in a full day's work. That kind of woman is also not going to have, like, a confident trust probably that God is for her, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you ask, it, you know, we can come along and basically just say, hey, just trust Jesus, right? Like, just trust in the finished work of Christ on your own on your own behalf. But the problem is that they're living a life of open rebellion against God, and so you have to put some thought into how their actions are actually affecting them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, so there, there's that kind of person. They're not going to have a confident trust of their salvation because their life is not bearing any fruit, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> At all. All right. So there's that kind of person, but then there's, there's also like the kind of person who may not have like scandalous specific sins along those lines that are outward, but they may have a lot of internal sins that they're struggling with. Um, so it might be that they're filled with just bitterness and, uh, their life is characterized by, uh, anger and unmet desires you know and we we create like entire victim classes of people along these lines where you describe them as being hurt or wounded or damaged or broken uh you know and those kind of people like they their sins might not be the external ones but it might be a lot of the internal like attitudes of just a joyless thankless think uh um thanklessness uh where they're looking at god they're looking at their circumstances they have no joy because they have all these idols that are being frustrated in their life essentially and then they look at their relationship with god and they think well god's mad at me and the reason why god's mad at me is because he's not doing all the things that i'm asking him to do Mm -hmm. and if he doesn't get on board with my plan for my life i'm not going to have any joy right (laughs) Right. Uh, so that kind of like that would be a different kind of person who um, basically might struggle with a lack of assurance, and it's because they have all these unmet idols in their heart and in their life. Uh, so those are different types. But then a third type might be just the type of person who is going to essentially um, 
be attempting to earn their salvation through their law keeping, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And looking to themselves and not looking to Jesus at all for their performance. And so basically like the slightest presence of sin in their life, like they're going to look at that. And um, basically, you know, they have a unreal ex- expectation. A lot of the prosperity churches basically have like a second blessing kind of theology that pushes people this way too. Uh, but then this can happen more in, uh, you know, solid doctrinal places too. But like they have an expectation of sinless perfectionism and any presence of, you know, uh, uh, remnant sin in their life is going to instantaneously mean, man, I must be lost, right? Right. So that'd be kind of a legalistic impulse. Uh, but then you, you also have like a kind of person um, who basically just has an unrealistic expectation of how assurance actually works in the Christian life. Mm-hmm. And so like the moment that like any presence of doubt manifests itself at all, they're just wallowing in the depths of, despair and lostness because i mean like they don't realize that you know like <laughs> there are passages in the bible where uh you, you know you, uh individuals basically say lord i believe help my unbelief right and first john says if our heart condemns us god is greater than our heart and he knows all things like they're like the basic war we fight in the christian life is that is to trust in god and so we're, right. we're told to walk by faith right uh, and the enemy, like the opposite of that is doubt. And so uh, everyone struggles with doubt to some degree, uh, and not as a virtue, but everyone has some degree of doubt, every, you know, every once, uh, every once in a while, uh, about their relationship with God. And so, you know, the standard normal, uh, perspective, I mean, uh, experience of Christian life should be ups and downs, uh, you know, as it relates to sometimes there's more doubt and sometimes there's more faith. Uh, but then overwhelmingly it gets more and more faith. You know what I mean? <laughs> and yeah, less yeah. and less doubt. But then there's a kind of person who has a bit of an unrealistic um, view of how these things actually work. And so they can get stuck, you know, in mm-hmm. some kind of downward spiral um, as far as that's concerned. So, I mean, they're different. I mean, there are more types of people than that. But like, there's, you know, those are just common uh, ways that people are experiencing these kind of things. Yeah. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because I was kind of thinking back like to when I was, um, to some of my experiences, um, in, in the Christian faith, especially when I was a little bit younger where, uh, I would, I would be, I mean, almost, you know, confused sometimes because there, there were a lot of times in my life where I felt like I couldn't, um, or it was really difficult to have room for uh, this idea that uh, if you are a Christian, then you're going to be the person who is consistently uh, you know, growing stronger in your faith, um, being more more confident in the things that you believe and the promises of God that you're putting your hope in, and then you're also um, becoming you know more obedient and knowledgeable about what it is that God said over time. But then also having room at the same time to say, um, you know, God, God shows grace. God shows, you know, new mercies to us every day. E- even, even unbelievers, he's showing mercy to in one way. But then for Christians, you know, he's showing like the greatest mercy ever shown through his, you know, through the, the uh, crushing of his son in our place. And I remember, you know, multiple times hear, hearing pastors um, talk about this grace that God is showing us, but then 
sometimes being confused because I understand that there's supposed to be grace that, that there's this grace that God is showing to us, but then how does that fit in with this idea that I do have to actually do what God is, you know, what God is saying and, and I fail, you know, all the time in it. Um, and so, so it's good to kind of hear you talk about, uh, uh, we should reject this idea that the Christian faith is some kind of, you know, perfectionist, uh, uh, speed run or something where yeah I mean certainly man it's not like uh, the thing is like there's different movements in the church that have come and that are basically encouraging like that are blurring categories in, in, in that kind of way and so like there's a difference between being inconsistent and being uncommitted what do you mean well I mean um, I mean you can <laughs> Like, so like if you just like think about a war metaphor or something along those lines, like there might be times in, in a war where a soldier for the right team, you know, has a, a lack of courage and, you know, doesn't want to jump over that wall and charge the bat, charge the enemy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there might be times where he needs to be smacked around and, you know, have people <laughs> uh, tell him, you know, wake up, you know, like uh, get, get back <laughs> out there, you know, kind of thing. And so like that, there's times of inconsistency, but that's totally different than just, you know, putting on the uniform for the other team and going to work for them, you know? And so yeah. like in being fundamentally uncommitted, you know, and every single time, like there's a moment that requires you to actually, you know, that test your faith, you just, you, you roll over. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what's happened is you have like the easy, easy believism, the non-lordship salvation kind of position in church history, uh, the hyper grace movement recently with guys like uh, Tolian and Javidian and, 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 and all them. Uh, but you have like these theological justifications for this fundamentally carnal Christian, this uncommitted yeah. kind of Christian, and that kind of person doesn't have any right to assurance because they're not even playing for the right team, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, there's no evidence that they're born again, man. You know, uh, so like they they don't. Regardless, maybe maybe uh, maybe it'll show up one day, but you know, as long as like. You know, there there isn't any evidence. We shouldn't just like it's not more charitable just to, you know, suspend uh, belief indefinitely. You know, despite mm-hmm. all evidence to the contrary. So, like, there's a difference between being uncommitted and being inconsistent. And all of us are going to be inconsistent in our Christian life at times. Uh, but then the real Christian is going to, you know, be convicted about that. And, and the real cr- Christian can commit horrible sins, like David. You know, with adultery and mm-hmm. murder. Yeah. But you turn from it, right? You turn from it. That's not just who you are fundamentally to the core your whole life. You know, just uh, uh, the adulterer and then the murderer. That's just not who you are, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, you think through those kind of things. And, and the problem is that we have a lot of, like, you know, theologians out there who are basically giving the kind of uncommitted person license to persist in their um, like, uh, disbelief and unbelief in that way and you know shock big shock you know they don't feel comp- a lot of them don't feel a whole lot of confidence uh, but uh, you know we've we, I mean you know, th- there are insane situations where we feel confident for them you know mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know I had family members who went to like uh, Leonard uh, there's a uh, they went to a funeral for a band member of Leonard Skinnerd who 
essentially died in a drug overdose and spent his life <laughs> in debauchery, <laughs> you know, but uh-huh. they were the, uh, at the funeral, Leonard Skinner played and they played hymns. And so, you know, the, uh, they were basically at the funeral trying to, you know, sing him into heaven, you know, and, yeah. but it's just Pandering like, this is God. a degenerate man, you know, who has no evidence of salvation whatsoever, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, like one of the worst things that you can do right now is just to question someone's salvation because this myth is so strong, you know, and the pressure is so strong. And, and I mean, almost like, like there's like in some circles, there's almost nothing that an individual can do, even full on apostasy, you know, overtly working for the mm-hmm. other team that would shake, you know, family members, uh, confident trust that they're still in, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, all salvation is about is just praying that prayer and walking that aisle, and that's it, you know? So It's just saying the magic words. Saying that, that magic I, formula, man. I guess there's a there's a password to get into heaven. <laughs> right. Um, well, say, saying on this topic of, of sin and, and how do we how do we view sin in light of assurance, um, you know, I think I think it's pretty safe to say you're you would you would say um, you know if someone were to commit one isolated sin that they don't have a history of of doing very often you would say like that is not the appropriate time to start questioning your salvation in any legitimate sense right or or am I mistaken? I mean, give or take. <laughs> Okay. I mean, well, like if you stab right. someone in the eye, you know. <laughs> I don't know no, that that I'm, would be I'm a great still, moment. <laughs> still a Christian. I mean, I, I think you know it, there are things that you can do. You know, uh, he just had a he just had a, a, a weak moment stick in his eye, you know? man. You know, I was trying to get it out. Yeah, I mean, you know, you go to the gay nightclub, and you know. Uh, all that, you know, we won't talk about. I mean, I, I don't know that. I mean, I, there's certainly things that you can do that, I mean, should, like, that are so out of character, um, you know, um, for the Christian. Uh, you kill someone and eat them, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, like, there are things, man, like, that. Like, are, I was not thinking about any of these sins yeah, when I asked uh, this question. <laughs> I mean, there are things that that are so out of character for the Christian that that should rock you for a minute, right? Uh-huh. And if you just like, you know, um, you, you do that, you sacrifice a goat to Satan or something like that, and <laughs> and go full pagan. Yeah, like, I mean, like, <laughs> don't never go full pagan, man. But I mean, you could do that kind of thing. I mean, but that shouldn't be a moment where it's just like, oh man, I'm confident, you know, like that should take some time to work through. It's like, why did I sacrifice that goat to Satan, man? <laughs> why? Where do you keep coming up with all yeah. this? But yeah, so, I mean, I think that there are things, there are things, you know, that are out of, out of character. Uh, it's so out of character for the Christian that that should be uh, like uh reevaluate moment you know um so but you sacrifice the goat but i mean give i mean yeah i mean you like sin should be i mean unfortunately living in a fallen world all none of us are perfect you know it shouldn't just be that every time you sin you're just fundamentally destabilized and 
Mm-hmm. Like you, you need, we need to have an answer. We do have an answer to that in what Jesus did on the cross, where He's you know cast our sin into the depths of the sea. He's forgiven us not just for what we've done now, but for everything you know, past, present, future, all of it nailed to the cross is finished. Sure, right. Uh, but the more prolonged and habitual a certain sin is that you're committing in your life, or the more extreme and heinous it is, that should be a moment for self-reflection and not just a moment mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, um, just uh, dogmatic, you know, irrational, you know, 100% confident, confidence in that moment kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You need repentance and you need to turn from it, you know, and ask God to restore you the joy of your salvation. So sure. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because the next thing I was going to ask you is, you know, how many times can I sin until I should start questioning my salvation? I mean, is it, uh, you know, preferably I I would like a specific number if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, you know, 11. (laughs) 11. I was going to guess 77. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know, man. (laughs) I think, uh, you know, I think if you look at assurance like as if it's like, instead of just looking at it like a zero or or a hundred, right? So quit looking at it like that. And like, and that's the way that everyone looks at it, and that's why they get themselves in problems. But then it, you know, just imagine like an assurance meter in your heart or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say you're you're at a you know a confident ninety eight percent or something like that, and then you sin, you know, maybe it goes down to ninety seven, right? Uh-huh. These are obviously scientific numbers uh, here, <laughs> but I mean, like, and you keep on going, you do it again, you know, like shouldn't it take another dip, and you keep on doing it again, right? Do you, mm-hmm. you see what I mean? Like in that, and then it's just like, hey man, you're like, you're like totally mastered by this thing now and you don't even care, right? Shouldn't you be like, like you're just, every time the slightest temptation comes, you're giving into it, you know, maybe you're down to 20% confidence at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So like, but the, the point there is just to say, just think of it like a, um, don't just think of it like a all or nothing lever, Right, mm-hmm. either a hundred percent or zero, and that's kind of the way the Christian life should work. Is that you know, as we sin, maybe there's a little bit of a, like a dip, you know. But I mean, I, I wouldn't say every time, but I mean, like you know, if you deal with it right away and you say, "Hey, Lord, will you please forgive me," and I'm stupid, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. like thank you for having mercy on me. Like I don't, I, I don't know that you should just be totally destabilized by that, you know. But like just normal kind of stuff but then the more and more you just embrace your sin like you're destroying your assurance at that point and the more you commit to it the more you're casting into question the legitimacy of what you're claiming mm-hmm. and so just think about it like that like it's not an all or nothing it's just a it's an up and down you know kind of thing that uh, the more that you embrace sin the more you know you should feel miserable and unstable and that kind of thing until you actually with the whole heart repent of it and mm-hmm. and get to the other side of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Basically you're saying there's a scale of one hundred and each sin should take it down about one degree. <laughs> so 
by my calculations, you got I should be able to sit a hundred times. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe, maybe for the the sacrificing the goat to Satan, that should yeah, be like twenty five of them or something. <laughs> hey, man, there's no exact math, but I mean, like, I I would think you know if you were a hundred percent and you sacrifice that goat, man, you should go down to twenty like percent confidence <laughs> at that point, if not ten. That, that's the that's the new law, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are things like that that should shake you, you know. Shake you uh-huh. like why did i do that man <laughs> like, right uh you know and if you just go with it man you you know i don't you, you're in self-deception territory at that point but i, I right so I, I i just don't i think it's not helpful just to think about it all and nothing kind of thing it's just um think about it more like a scale you know but that doesn't like the thing is that what people get troubled by that kind of thing is they think well your salvation is quite in question it's like like or they think like like you're, I'm not saying anything about justification. Just justification is a supernatural act of God, where an individual is declared legally not guilty of all wrongdoing. But the question is, did mm-hmm. that happen or not? Right? And mm-hmm. so, like our, you know, our confidence that that happened that that happened in any given case goes up and down <laughs> based on the things that people do. You right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so when jo- you know, uh, that's true of ourself, and it's true of other people too. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, so, you know, when Josh Harris, you know, kissed Christianity goodbye and, you know, do, he's out there supporting homos and everything else at this point, I don't have a confident trust that he is in the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> so my assurance of his salvation took a big hit after all that, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Like a big hit. Like, so, but that's what church discipline actually does is like we, if we have assurance for ourselves and we have assurance for other people. And it is like it does go up and down based on their actions, and so we may not know, like with absolute confidence, the eternal destination of any human being, including ourselves. But like, um, like it should go up and down based on realities. But then at the same time, if you're legitimately God, you have the Holy Spirit who is living inside of you, who is you know crying out, bearing witness with your spirit, Abba Father, right? So there's like this like, assurance itself is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit's work, which is also accompanied by the rest of his work, which is a transformed life. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So just um, think about it. Yeah, just don't think about it like an all or nothing. It's a scale, man. You know, it goes up and down. Those hundred sins. Just don't don't <laughs> sin a hundred times. And You don't want to test it, man. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't test it out, you know? So so you're saying I could sin 99 <laughs> times? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, no. like, you wouldn't even, we wouldn't even be able to figure out, you know, where we're at in any objective. That's why it's subjective, you know? You could, you don't have a assurance meter, you know, that it's just like, <laughs> boom, you know? Like, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, one though, one thing that I am a little bit curious about is, is it seems like you're saying, um, you know, when it comes to assurance of salvation, there are certain sins that should cause us to worry more than Uh. others perhaps. So, you know, maybe you, you, um, you could compare like, Hey, you, you tell a, you tell a lie to your kid to just like, Appease them. Just appease them for a moment, you know, a moment of silence or something, you know, that's all you want. And then you compare that to like you stab your friend in the eye (laughs) or you, or you sacrifice the goat to Satan. (laughs) Right. And, and you're basically what you're saying is like, all right, so they're bad. All of those things are bad, but then probably the, the, 
eye stabbing, you know, and the <laughs> and the goat sacrificing, those should probably cause you to worry a little bit more than than telling yeah. the lie to your kid. So um so are you essentially saying that there are some sins that are worse than other sins? I mean the Bible doesn't sin level, okay? Like it doesn't like all sins are not the same in the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. Now all of them are equally damning and none of them are justified. And if you're the kind of person who basically justifies your lies that you tell on a regular basis as white lies, like, you know, you should be unstable too. Like there's no mm-hmm. like it, there's no like justification for anything as far as that's concerned. But there are verses in the Bible that like there, there are verses in the Bible that would teach us that all sins are not the same, and then there are principles in the Bible that would teach us the same thing. So, uh, you know, First Corinthians six nine tells us that you know, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Like so, there are statements like that. And if you imagine just like the guy who's you know robbing all of his church friends every week, mm-hmm. right? Like that, whatever's happening there, that's just such a high-handed kind of sin that you shouldn't be confident of that kind of individual. Uh, you know, so they just, uh, you know, despite what J.D. Greer and, um, yeah, uh, what's, what's that lady's name uh, that he got that from? Oh, uh, I don't Jen know. Jen Wilkins says, I mean, the Bible doesn't whisper about sexual sin. I mean, it says, do not mm-hmm. be deceived. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? <laughs> so, so like there, like the thing is, like there are sins like that, right? Uh, you know, think about Revelation 20, you know, outside of the sorcerers. Like if you're mm-hmm. a sorcerer, you don't have any right to Christian assurance, right? Um, outside of the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolater, and everyone who practices falsehood. Like there are like objectively lists in the Bible of sins that like uh, that fundamentally, like uh, if an individual is characterized by these things, you should doubt where they're at, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, there are those kind of lists, but then you just think about, like, the difference between anger and murder in the Bible. So, like, anger, like, you know, if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things you're going to find is, you know, murder is essentially heart, uh, you know, anger is essentially murder of the heart, right? Right. But the problem is you don't stone someone for anger of the uh, anger in the heart, or murder, heart murder. You stone them for actual murder in under the terms of the old covenant, right? Right. And this yeah. is why all the hate crime stuff is so stupid. You know, <laughs> because it's just like you don't criminalize hate, like mm-hmm. criminalizing. You criminalize like the actions, right? Uh, so, but the thing is, like in a just society, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna. It's not like someone has slightest anger in their heart, and you're gonna kill them for it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah. It, like so. The thing is, there's a different penalty for murder because essentially, like what murder is, is you take like anger. Like if you imagine anger as a fire, you know, anger is kind of like a you know a small little fire that's outside your house, right? Yeah, but mm-hmm. then murder is like when the whole house is set on fire. <laughs> like so, are they the same? Yes, they're the same in that they're both a fire, right? Mm-hmm. And one's going to lead to the other, 
but are they the same in every respect? No, <laughs> like obviously not. Right. Like I would rather people like stop at like frustration and irritation than like go full on, start bashing someone in the head with their fist or mm-hmm. put a knife in their eye. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, so like, you know, you, you would like them to stop anywhere along the line to the act of killing them. Right. Because objectively that would be much worse to take a person's life than to hit them once. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, what Will Smith did was wrong, but I don't think we should execute him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bold statement. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, maybe ban him from the Oscars for 10 years, whatever, you know, but, uh, you know, there's more to say about that, but whatever. Like, uh, the thing is like, yes, all sin is not the same. And there are, mm-hmm. there are levels, uh, like there are some sins that are worse than others. Even Judas, you know, like you got, uh, the Bible says that you know, it would have been better that that man were never born mm-hmm. uh, in terms of that. And, you know, it would be more tolerable for, you know, Thyre and everything else, uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah than for some of the cities uh, that were around at the time of Jesus' coming, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so like the thing is like there are some sins that are worse than others and so um so i i think like the more that we give ourselves over to unrepentant iniquity and high-handed iniquity the more we should be destabilized until we repent and then mm-hmm. we should be praying that god gives us a joy returns the joy of our salvation at that point and um and that's not going to happen through just you know holding on to your rebellion does that make sense mm-hmm yeah. Now, um, I do have I do have one more question related to that. Um, so for for the person who does actually repent, so say they sin, a, they sin, um, you know, it causes them to kind of, you know, maybe they don't. They maybe sin they a big don't. sin. It's it's not a big sin, but it's definitely you know something worth saying. Like, whoa, that was you know, that was. I think really we should wrong, tremble you know? at even the smallest sin. Like, and so we right. should like make our consciences so tender to where we're just. Like, you know, we're not just excusing anything, right? But, anyways, keep on going. Um, so, so for that person who does something, but then you know, eventually, whether it's quick or or it's it takes a, a little bit of time, they do actually repent of it. Should their assurance immediately go up, or or is it something that they should expect to take a little bit of time after you know uh, after they've been removed from whatever? situation they were in that that um you know they sent that um tempted them to sin and and you know uh they've they it's been a little bit of time since they repented as well uh does it basically what i'm just what i'm asking is should it be an instant like all right i'm i'm reassured again or or is it something that just naturally takes a little bit of time um after after everything's gone down yeah i don't know that time is so much the issue is it's like what is the characteristic of the repentance itself okay what do you mean but then often like it does take time to prove the legitimacy of the repentance but i would say the time is neither here nor there in in one in one sense uh so like there are different types of sorrow so you have like a worldly sorrow essentially that's going to lead to death and you have like in second corinthians 7 a godly sorrow and there are characteristics of like godly sorrow so uh you know second corinthians 7 10 says for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret okay Mm -hmm. so the kind of like repent like the kind of um 
sorrow we should have is going to be not one that's filled with like regret. So, like, godly grief produces repentance, leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So now notice what it says. It says, "For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you proved yourself innocent in this matter. So, like, there are those character traits that come with godly repentance, like earnestness, uh, uh, eagerness to clear yourself, indignation. Like, so that's like when an individual says, like, I sinned, but I hate it and I don't want to go back to it. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go back to it. I hate it. Like, I don't want to be characterized by that. I don't want to, I want to, like, I want to be done with this. I want, like, I'm going to turn from this with the whole heart, with no reservations, not blaming this on anyone. It's all me. Right. Mm-hmm. It's my fault. Me. Like, I did it. It was me. And I hate it. Right. Like that person who has gotten to that point where they hate it and they never want to go back, they sh- th- like there should be no. They they should be stable. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Now I wouldn't say that time like you can like time is neither here nor there because you can have a person who just repents because they got caught caught right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in their heart, they still love it, right? Right. So the kind of person who, in their heart, they still love it and they wish they had another opportunity to it. They shouldn't feel stable. You you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now, that can happen right away where they just hate it and they never want to go back to it and they confess it and they take full responsibility for it and accept the consequences for it and they're fine. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But what it's more is about the characteristic of the repentance itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So is it like, is it godly grief or is it worldly Right. And so for a lot of people, like what happens is it's worldly grief at first and it takes a long time to get to golly. (laughs) And at that Uh point, like the, you know, the, the repentance is, it takes a, you know, uh, or the uh, assurance does take a hit, you know, Mm -hmm. for a little bit until they get to a point where they get to the other side of that one. Okay. Well, in closing, Tim, is there anything that, um, you want to say that that maybe we didn't cover with my questions? Yeah, I think if you're going to help someone who's struggling with a lack of assurance, like I think the worst thing that you can do is just be an individual who comes along and basically tries to give people assurance. Mm-hmm. So like that doesn't like like their assurance should not be based on your perspective of where they're at in the Christian life. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so like what you should, I mean, like what you should do is like, if a person doubts, you look at them and you say, Hey, we'll repent and believe the gospel, right? Repent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the same thing that like, like your response to the gospel is like faith and repentance, right? But yeah. that should be the way that you live your life and faith and repentance. And so like, you know, if, if a person is doubting, then the only thing you can do to help them is encourage them towards faith and repentance, like faith and repentance, right? So trust in the promises of God turn from your sins and there's no reason why you shouldn't experience true assurance as far as that goes so mm-hmm. like I, I would encourage people not to try to assure people like that's the job of the holy spirit it's not our job to like to to assure them in that in that way um and really it doesn't matter like i mean to me it's a small thing what someone thinks about my the state of my soul right mm-hmm. like that isn't like it's like I'm grounding my assurance in objectively what Jesus did, and I trust by faith in what He did, and so it's grounded in His work on the cross and in my life. It's not grounded in someone else's opinion of me. So don't 
I don't think it's our job to try to assure people. And the more that you try to get down, go down that road, what's going to happen is you just like this person is never going to like their, their, their assurance is grounded in the wrong thing, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's grounded in your perspective. And and typically it's not going to work. You just have to keep on feeding this needy person who's not dealing with assurance in the right kind of way. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, but then I think you you do have to think about well what's causing this and like I I gave different categories to think through as it relates to those things and like is this like is this the person who is has no assurance because they're trying to earn their salvation um, you know is this the kind of person who has no assurance because they're living a, an antinomian life right mm-hmm. is this the kind of person who has no assurance because they have all these frustrated idols in their life that they're not dealing with right. And so they think God's mad at them because God's not doing, giving them what they want and other people aren't giving them what they want and they're just depressed and miserable. You know, so like what kind of person are we talking about along these lines? Or this kind of person with the unrealistic like um, perspective of what it, um, like about how assurance actually works where they think about it as like a lever that's just all or nothing. And every time they feel doubt, they're just, you know, they're, concerned about their eternal state at all right and they're magnifying that fixated on that and that and i think that they're just different answers to any of those people right Mm -hmm. Uh, so like the person who's trying to earn their salvation you want to encourage them to trust in the finished work of jesus Uh, the person who's living an unruly life you need to encourage them to repent right (laughs) right and live a productive life the the kind of person who is um uh essentially uh has all the frustrated idols you have to teach them how to deal with what's going on in their heart and repent of those idols and um, and work through those kind of issues in that kind of way. Um, and the person with the unrealistic perspective like, of how assurance works, they just they need to be taught how assurance actually works. And so I just think you don't want a one-size-fits-all approach to, like, you know, if you're going to help people with this, you don't want a one-size-fits-all approach to it. you got to think, what kind of person am I talking to? And then... Um, and then remember, you know, just it's not your job to assure them. It's your job to, you know, tell them how to respond uh, and walk by faith in the Christian life. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think that's a good place to stop for this episode. And and hopefully this has been, you know, a helpful thing uh, for our listeners to hear and to think through for themselves and just for being being equipped to go and and to minister to others in their lives who might be struggling with some of these uh, same ideas. I think it's a pretty common, you know, I mean, even you were saying, hey, it's on a scale, you know, it is not normal to be at a, at a 100%, you know, assurance um, all of the time. Uh, as a Christian, because we're not perfect, uh, we we fail, we sin, um, we fall short of God's glory so many times, and so so hopefully this is not only something that um, encourages you in your own walk, which we hope it does, but we hope that you guys are listening to this and then taking the things that you hear and and uh, telling other people about it and helping them through the stuff that that they might be facing so hopefully this has been encouraging hopefully it's it's uh, helped equip you and it's blessed you and we want to thank you guys uh, for listening to this episode and we look forward to seeing you on the next one this has been another episode of bible bashed we hope you have been encouraged and blessed through our discussion 
We thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible Bashed and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting us through Patreon. If you would like to be Bible Bashed personally, then please know that we also offer free biblical counseling, which you can take advantage of by emailing us. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move.